Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Menech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotah V'Tzivanu L'Asok B'Divrei Torah. Ve'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka B'Finu Ufi Am Kabet Yisrael. Ve'nie Anaknu V'Zetzeinu V'Zetzei Am Kabet Yisrael. Kulanu Yodea Shemeka Ve'lom De Torateka Lishma. Baruch Atah Adonai Hamlame Torah Le'Amo Yisrael. Baruch Abah, Ani Shomer Man, Ani Ish Shomer, I am Shomer Man, welcome, Baruch Abah means welcome. I want to go ahead and let us know that we are in the double parasha of Tazria Metzora and shall give birth to a leper, basically with what that would loosely translate as, which means birth of Mashiach. Sanhedrin 98a says that Mashiach is a leper. He is considered to be one who sits among those who are uh, quarantined. How fitting is that? You know, because the gates of Rome is where the lepers are said to be. Those who are not quite in Rome and not quite out of Rome. That's where the Mashiach is. So uh, there's a whole lot to that when you really just check out that daf of Sanhedrin 98a. You'll, you'll just get a lot of good insight there about what, what is the gates of Rome and uh, what does that mean? You know, because Rome is related to Christianity because that's the birthplace of Christianity. And Mashiach is at the gate of it, which means this kind of entry exit point, you know, because many people, when they begin to be a Christian, you know, they have this monumental revelation that usually happens in their life, like this this really big, like, I want to change, I want to do something. Same thing for those who come out of it, you know, right before I left Christianity, you know, the same influx happened, you know, spiritually, where it was like, I'm ready to be done with this, you know, because I want more, I want deeper things, and I want to go forward, you know, and there's a lot of heartache and heartstrings and fear that has to be overcame at that point. So whether you're coming in or going out, you know, there, the gate is that place. And again, you know, when Lot left Abraham, he went to uh, Sodom and he sat at the gates of Sodom. Uh, so he was a judge there because the judgment happens at the gates. This is uh, also found in Proverbs 31 about the, the husbands who sits at the gates with the elders. But when you look at the whole thing, because Kepha brings us down in one of his letters that, you know, Lot suffered there. He was exotic among those who were wicked. And compare it to the wickedness of Sodom versus where Lot was. Yes, he was considered exotic because that's the level of depravity that the people he was around at, that he he was exotic compared to who they were. And so there's been lots of back and forth on that. Well, was Lot Azotic? Was he not? And obviously compared to Abraham, he was a Rasha. And the same thing is brought up about Noah as well. It's just kind of like this compare contrast. Like, is Noah really considered Azotic? Or, you know, had he been alive in Abraham's time, would he have been Azotic? Well, the cool thing about all of these things is each of these individuals lived at different times, but they were considered Zotics of their their time, you know, and uh, their place, their locale, if you will, 
Obviously, Lot and Abraham lived at the same time, so you really can't say uh, definitively, but you can say geographically, because again, why would Kepha point out that uh, Lot was exotic? You know, and so uh, just to get a good reference on that, uh, I want to go to source that out for us. Uh, let's see. The verse in Kepha. Love being able to source things out on the fly. Um, So this is from Kepha's second letter in chapter 2. Just give us a little context here. It says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them deep into Gehenna. So angels get to go to Gehenna. That's interesting. Uh, it says, place them, placing them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but preserved Noah. Interesting. We were just talking about Noah and he's mentioned here. And it says he preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, a Magid Zadaka. So Magid is the word for preacher. If you remember the Pesach Seder, the part where you tell that the whole story of Hashem bringing us out of Egypt, that section is called Magid and it means to preach. So we're supposed to be preaching about our salvation. Anyway, Noah was considered a preacher of righteousness. And remember, there is no righteousness apart from Hashem. And what is Hashem's righteousness? None other than his word, his spirit. So that means that if you want to say Noahide laws are not Torah laws, then you have to deal with the fact of why is Noah considered to be one who teaches the righteousness of Hashem? And again, cross-reference that with Noah's son, whose name is Shem, who is the one who is Malchizedek. So the son of Noah is where the Jewish lineage comes from because the the Semites, they come from Shem, sons of Noah. Jews are sons of Noah. I mean, come on. But anyway, so are the Greeks and so are the Egyptians, because when you look at uh, Yafet, that's all your Greek culture, European and all that. And then you have Ham, who is the other son, and he has Egypt and Canaan and all that. So obviously they come from Noah as well. So, you know, one and a half out of three ain't bad, really, because remember, it's destined for the descendants of Yafet to dwell in the tent of Shem. Hence why so many people come from the Greek culture, the the European and all that kind of culture, the so to speak for loosely translating Western civilization. They come into the tents of Shem. And so, you know, we have a mass influx of people who are waking up Baruch Hashem to understand, hey, uh, this faith that I'm a part of, I'm not really sure this is all it. And you have the other thing, too, where a lot of people who are um, they've grown up in, quote unquote, Jewish households that don't believe in Messiah. And they're realizing, oh, my goodness, this this Mashiach character that's preached by the Western religion. 
uh, this is the true Mashiach. This is the Zadok who suffers for the sins of the world. The Rosh Hashanah, the one who repents and brings salvation to the whole world. One man's repentance can save the whole world. That's Antractate Rosh Hashanah. And so you realize he lines up with the sources and you're just like, whoa. But yet, if you want to remain in a synagogue, you know, apart from being a part of Sar Shalom and Lapid, Judaism across the globe, then you really have no place to go. I mean, there's hidden pockets places and people trying to do things at their home. But, you know, no established community with a bait dean and a, and a rabbi or, or associate rabbi and rabbi you know, and things like that. There's nothing, nothing of that is available, you know, uh, as far as widely exposed. Maybe you can say Kehilat Yisrael in Canada. Maybe you can say, you know, uh, there, there are different people or different groups of uh, communities that may exist in uh, different parts of the world that are okay with people who believe in the Messiah being a part of their community, as long as they stay hush-hush and don't try to uh, share that, you know, which is kind of like put your light under a bushel, but okay. Not that we need to evangelize and burn the house down, but you put the light on the table. So, I mean, obviously there's a balance. But the point being that, you know, where where are you going to go? So some people have to, quote-unquote, hide out right now. Some people have to stay concealed, you know, so... When you think about the final redemption where Hashem raises the banner and says, all right, everybody's time to go home. He blows the shofar. He starts gathering us in just like he brought us out of Egypt on the wings of eagles. So will he bring us out of this final exile on those very same wings, which are clouds of glory, by the way, and pillars of fire. So all sorts of teleportation and elevators and Amtraks and uh, buses and ferries like Hashem's got the works. So uh, that's what we're praying for. We just need that to be revealed, you know, that because it's already here. It's just not outright known because the the thing is, is as we've been praying for the final redemption, the realization has become unless we ourselves have received that redemption. Like, in other words, are we manifesting within ourselves the final redemption? Here's here's where I want to go with this. This is so crazy. I know it sounds so weird. It's like, what do you mean the redemption has to be revealed and it's in us and it's already here? Obviously, we don't see that. Well, this comes from the Jewish wisdom and the numbers on the letter eight. And I realized I just jumped out of Kepha's letter and I didn't even talk about a uh, lot. I will go back, I promise, with the help of Hashem. But in the number eight, it talks about the eighth era, the Messianic era. It says the purpose of the Messianic era is to return the world to the level of Adam before his sin. The widespread repentance of mankind will inaugurate a new world order and the knowledge of Hashem. Now, the footnote says, see Yeshayahu 11.9. So we're going to jump over there because here's the deal. When, when we have more and more souls repenting, which means returning to Torah, our original stance and standing before Hashem, because you realize when Hashem created us, He created us from Torah. That's why in Tractate Nida, 
around 30 and 31, uh, it talks about there's an angel that teaches us in the womb. Like as we're a baby in the nine months that we're in the mother, 40 weeks, sometimes it's 10 months, depending on if you're born early or you just decide to, to stay in class longer. Because, you know, some of us like to just be like, you know what, I don't want to leave tour study, just like we don't want to leave Shabbat. But anyway, uh, so those things happen. But it's like as we're born into households that are anti-Torah or they're anti-missionary and all that, wherever the stance falls, you know, sometimes we're we're conditioned and brought up in aspects of, no, don't do the Torah, you know, don't uh, don't believe in Yeshua, you know, don't uh, do, don't get into Christianity, you know, don't get into those kind of mindsets. And it's like, OK, I get it. But the thing is, Hashem has called each and every one of us to the Torah. Why else would he have an angel go into each and every womb where an infant is conceived and throughout the term of pregnancy, teach these children, teach each and every one of us the Torah? Why would Hashem do that if he doesn't want all mankind to walk in Torah? And why is it going to be in the Messianic era, the next epoch of humanity? Why is it going to be full of Torah? I mean, it's just kind of like, okay, so the whole world's supposed to become Jewish? Yeah, because you know what a Jew means, right? Jew means become a new creation. That's simply what Jewish means. Because Megillah 13a says that anyone who repudiates idolatry is a Jew. So what is idolatry? Idolatry is saying the creator that created me, uh, I, I reject all of his, his ruling. I reject all of his standards. I reject everything about him. And uh, the thing that I've created with my hands or the thing that I can comprehend and grasp with my mind, that's what I will serve. That's what I will be devoted to. That's what I will worship. And it's like, I don't want to be religious which is interesting because idolaters tend to be very religious because, again, religion is a system of how you uh, methodically go about your life. You can literally be religious by having a morning routine. Every morning I wake up and da, 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 you know, it's like, OK, you're a very religious person. You know, you're an early riser or you're a night owl. You know, those are religions because you're you're in that you know, so religion has definitely been watered down, just like the word Jew has been watered down, just like the word uh, goy or Gentile has been watered down. So you get down to the real meaning. Hence why Jew is all about one who has crossed over from death into life, one who is turned away from idolatry and turned to a shim, one who didn't even grow up in a Jewish household, wasn't born of a Jewish mother. And somehow they find Hashem and they begin to serve him and declare his oneness in the world. So Yehudi is the actual word for Jew in Hebrew. Yehudi, that word means God praiser, one who casts praise to Hashem. And so you have to think about this, that you're casting praise to Hashem. You're declaring Hashem's oneness. You've turned away from idolatry. You've turned to Torah. That's repentance. That's being born again. That's being a newborn babe. That's being a follower of Hashem. That's being a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a treasured people. You know, the Am Segula from Exodus 19 and from 1 Peter chapter 2. 
So you're putting all that together and that's what Jewish means. So over here in Yeshayahu 11.9, it says the Messianic era will be a time of plenty. Jealousy and competition for resources will cease because there will be prosperity for everyone. And therefore, people will be able to turn their attention to the study of Torah. Oh, snap. Everyone is going to study the Torah? Seriously? Okay. And then it says knowledge of Hashem. Oh, snap. Where do you find out the knowledge of Hashem? What is the mind of Hashem? It is the Torah. The Torah is called Eshtat, the fiery knowledge. Hashem himself is fire. So to have Eshtat means to have knowledge of the one who is fire. Again, that's Devarim, Deuteronomy 33.2, the fiery law that comes from the right hand of Hashem. Oh, snap. Who's the right hand of Hashem? None other than his Mashiach, right? So now you're looking at all this and it's like, yeah, the knowledge of Hashem, the study of Torah, repentance for the whole entire world going on and to say in the performance of commandments. Okay, so now we're going to be performing commandments, which to perform commandments, the word command itself means to connect. And you're connecting with Hashem. And there's just so happens that there are 613 of those commandments that collapse down into 10, which all collapse down into one. Because six plus one plus three is 10. And then one plus zero is one. So one is really 10, which is really 613. So if you really think about all that, I mean, it's just absolutely uh, phenomenal that, you know, the redemption is in us and we're the reason that it's not revealed because all the different jealousies and all the competition for resources, all the materialism is in our face. And Hashem has graciously brought in COVID-19. I mean, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. There's death that is coming from it and sickness and quarantine and separation and all sorts of trials of, you know, losing uh, work and companies and businesses being lost and shut down. I myself currently is on furlough. So, I mean, that's kind of weird not having to go to work. And then, you know, where's the provision going to come from? Hashem, you know, do I get another job in the meantime? Well, by the time I get a new job and get established in that, it's time to go back to work because it's a temporary furlough. So it's like, okay, so I'm supposed to be on unemployment, but yet that's taking time to get here. And it's kind of like the, you know, today has enough words of its own. So tomorrow will be there. And who knows if I even get to live tomorrow. So, you know, so we try to plan all these things out and have the appropriate balance in our thoughts and and how we go about doing things. And it's just kind of like, okay, so what's the point? The point is that every day of our life is all about teshuva, all about returning to Hashem, all about knowing Him and declaring His oneness, which is Jewish stuff. And when we do that, all mankind, we get to bring the redemption. You know, whether or not Mashiach comes, if the whole world, if the whole world, say if the whole world, if the whole world has began to cease being jealous and competitive with one another because we're all devoting attention to the study of Torah, the knowledge of Hashem, and the performance of commandments. Um, yeah, that's kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, Hashem, the party's ready. 
we're just waiting on you to come here. You know, like, you know, surprise parties, you, do, you throw for people, you get everything all set, you turn the lights off and everybody's hiding and you're waiting for the person to walk into the room. It's kind of like, that's what we have the opportunity to do right now. And I want to shout out to our Avenger, Cola, who is our Storm character that uh, we were talking into our discussion virtually yesterday because our group has to be virtual studiers now. But she was bringing down that, you know, didn't you mention something, Shomer Man, about the wheats and the tares growing together and all this? And Hashem is going to separate the wheat from the tares at the final harvest. And I'm like, seriously? Because like right now, the wheats and the tares get to grow together. Like COVID-19 is bringing out the best in people and it's also bringing out the worst in people. Some people are really thriving during this time and some people are really not, you know, and it's kind of like, wow, so... Look at the greater scheme of that, because I was like, we're coming up on the festival of first fruits. Like the grain has been planted, you know. So during this counting of the Omer that we're doing right now, the grain is growing, the wheat is growing, and we're supposed to bring that new wheat at Shavuot. Like that's the only time we get to bring hamets to the temple. Because it's not going to be offered on the altar, but it's going to be waved before Hashem. And we're going to partake of it. And that's the new man. That's the one new man that we become. And so that's the beginning of the harvest. And the final harvest, the final end gathering is Sukkot. So from Shavuot to Sukkot, the wheat and the tares are growing. And by Sukkot, you bring that all in and you separate it out. So I'm kind of like, okay, not that we're calculating the final redemption or anything, but look at the time frame that just so happens to be what's going on right now, that all mankind is left without excuse right now to say, did you have time to study the Torah? Did you have time to grow in your knowledge of Hashem and perform commandments? Did you know most of the commandments you perform are in your home? I mean, come on, man. Like, Opening and closing the Shabbat, you do that at home. Kosher eating, you do that at home. Dressings anew, you do that at home. You know, like hospitality, you do that at home. You know, uh, respecting your family, your parents, you know, your wife, your children, you do that at home. The Shema, which is the greatest commandment, that's all about what you do at home. When you retire, when you arise, when you walk along the way, you know, while you're in your house, you know, while you're taking the trash out, you know, all this time that Shem has given us, absolutely phenomenal. So, like, we have this opportunity and we have to take advantage of it. And if we do, the more and more people we spark on, you know, like, that's it. That's what we need. So, if Mashiach doesn't come and we pray that he does, we can initiate the messianic redemption even before he gets here so that when he does get here it's icing on the cake the party's been ready everything is set and we're already living in the consciousness and in the reality of that time and all we're doing is just waiting on the the final little piece you know the puzzles almost complete so we just need Mashiach to land and that's it you know like I don't know. I just I just get really hyped up thinking about that because the rest commentary says, and by the way, this is the art scroll. Yeshayahu, 
Arch Scroll Isaiah commentary on that from like everybody. It says that this is why this is why strife among the nations will no longer exist. It is because of this that the prophets and wise people long for the Messiah. That's from the Rambam and Shemone Perakim. So I just thought that was some really, really cool things that you can look at just by realizing the redemption is within us and that it starts with us and we have to initiate it and bring it out. So going on, it says that it will be the expansion of Israel's original mission to live over and above the natural world in order to reveal the glory of God. Again, the whole thing about being a Jew is to reveal the glory of God. The only way you can actually reveal the glory of God is to be one who is immersed in Torah and mitzvot and avoda and acts of kindness. So avoda, prayer, your reasonable service, you know, your heart posture before Hashem, your self-judgment, you know, and as you're studying and as you're praying, you're really refining and... um self-examination, like all that's going on. Because when you yourself are redeemed, you actually cause redemption to enter into the world. Because it's not about, oh, who did I go preach to today? It's actually about how did I transform today? Because if we're all personally transforming, if we're all personally refining, if we're all personally self-correcting, Your self-correction is going to correct so much stuff in other people, because remember, the only reason people irritate us and bother us and we get upset with so-and-so or so-and-so is because that's actually things that's going on in ourselves that we have to fix. And we don't see that. So Hashem is like, let me give you a mirror real quick so you can look at look at your face, look at your mug that you need to fix your ugly mug, got some cracks in it. You need some lotion. Okay. So like moisturize that thing. So that happens in other people. So really other people are sinning and horribleness is going on in the world because we're not fixing that in ourselves. So we got to fix ourselves. And again, just to take the example over the top, the Chafetz Chaim, the Shemraz Halashon, the, the guarding of the speech, that gentleman, he changed the world because he focused on changing the way he guarded his own tongue. He sought to change the world and he was like, well, I went out, that was unsuccessful. And then I tried to change my family. I realized that wasn't successful. But then when I changed myself, oh, all of a sudden, Khafiz Chaim, household name and Shimras HaLashon, guarding of the speech, no Lashon Hara, no evil speech. Like the whole world's has access now to his teachings and it's because he decided to start with himself and then make it available for other people should they want it and that is again a testament to how connected we are because we all come from the same place we all come from the letters of the torah whether we like it or not the fact that we are in the image of hashem is truly a thing we have eyes, we have ears, we have mouths, we have the body, the body parts, we have the organs and all that kind of stuff. Regardless of deformities and mutations and things like that, homo sapiens, mankind, human race, all of that, we all have a 
uh, a template that we're cut out from, and it's called the Torah. And here we are with all the, again, the corruption and, and craziness, pandemonium in the world being like, nah, nah, that's just Jewish stuff. And that's, you know, you don't need to be like that. And, you know, anti-Semitism or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just kind of like, it's ridiculous. Like we all have the same things to fix and we're all mad at each other because we're not working on ourselves. And it's like, okay, and because that's the case and because that's the current reality, we're not in the final redemption. And we could have been 2000 years ago. So if 2000 years ago could have been the beginning of the redemption, then, uh, you know, why are we losing our minds now? Like, is it going to happen today? Is it going to happen in 200 or 300 years? It's like it was supposed to actually happen 2000 years ago. You realize Hashem sent Mashiach and was like, are y'all ready? And they were like, nah, we want Caesar. Nah, we want Rome. Well, we want Hashem to take out Rome, but really we want Rome. So, I mean, I guess we really don't want Hashem to take out Rome because whatever this Yeshua character is doing, we don't, uh-uh, no, he ain't got no kind of signs that he's showing us, which he did. He showed us plenty of signs. And we were like, no, 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 show us something else. Show us what we want to see. You know, and then it was like, well, he came riding on a donkey. We want the one who's going to come in on the horse. And it's just like, well, uh, the house of David has never been about the glitz and glam. You know, Abraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov, they were never focused on their wealth. They ended up becoming super wealthy, but their wealth was only because they wanted to give to the world. So, you know riding on a donkey, being humble, being wanting to uh, associate with those who are low and poor in spirit. And again, lepers, you know, Mashiach is one who sits among the lepers. He sits among those who are quarantined. And it's just kind of like, okay, so that's how the kingdom of Hashem is. Literally, if you go back to Parsha Vayaki, the final Torah portion of Genesis, where it talks about Jacob and his death and he blesses his children and all that kind of stuff. It says that the Shekinah hovered over his bed because the Shekinah always is near a sick person. And did not Mashiach say, I came for the sick? I mean, come on. The Shekinah glory of Hashem in bodily form was walking around among us and he decided to associate himself with the lowly, the poor, the sick. Those who were considered outcasts, those who were literally quarantined. Literally right now, because those who are choosing to stay in quarantine, you're as close to the shaking as you could possibly be without the temple in the world. Quarantine is a blessing. And if you don't, if we don't take advantage of that, oh my gosh, like the shaking right in our grill and we're just like, nah, I'll just watch YouTube or Nah, I don't, I don't want to take Hashem. You know, it's just kind of like, what? The Shekinah considers himself to be among those who are poor and needy and leprous and quarantined and, and the least of these. Anyway, ask me how I feel about that. So it says the Messianic Epoch is tr intrinsically related to the number eight. And the year after the seventh, the son of David, which is Mashiach, will come. The harp belonging to the natural world has seven strings. The musical instrument of the era of Mashiach will be eight stringed. 
This symbolically mirrors the reaching of an exalted level over and above the physical realm. The Jewish people as observers of the heavenly Torah and bearers of his covenant. Mm, observers of his heavenly Torah and bearers of his covenant. Can I get a what? What? That's ridiculous. It says we live this supernatural existence even now in this world. So that just said the messianic redemption that is to come. The way you live that now is to be observers of the Torah and bearers of the covenant. And again, shouts out to the Chavendra Kola because she said, you know, isn't it interesting that the weight and the burden and the heavy things that we can take up on ourselves are actually not the limitations and restrictions granted to us by the Torah. She was reading just through Psalms methodically and it was in Psalms 2 and it was talking about cords and strings and stuff like that and ropes. And I was like, OK, what? And she's like, yeah, you know, because your your own uh, carnal desires, you know, like your your drives for materiality and lust and cravings and all the stuff of this world. That's the heavy weight. And she brought up the fact that Yeshua says, you know, come to me, all you are heavenly, heavily laden you know, and burden, take my yoke up on you for my yoke is light. My yoke is easy. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, you got to think about it. The things of the Torah, that's actually light compared to the, the bondage and the restriction of our own desires, because we are granted no rest when we cast off the yoke of Torah. You don't have any rest if you don't keep the Shabbat. And again, she brought down that isn't it interesting that people want to work on the Shabbat because they bring themselves down even lower into materiality when you do that, because Shabbat is the uptick of the week. That's where you ascend and become one with the Shem. And if you don't choose to take that ascent, then default, you descend. You don't get to just have a stagnant line because you realize people who work seven days a week constantly, constantly, all they do is wear their bodies down. They never have any break and they're just trying to get ahead. They're just trying to get another dollar. And when they get that dollar, they just need one more dollar. And it's like, so you're stuck in this cycle and you can't get enough. And then you're also tired. You're also, your body is breaking down and it's just like, man, I can't get a break. And then you have nothing that frees you from your own uh, drives, you know, if you're trying to overcome lust, if you're trying to overcome uh, addictions, if you're trying to overcome, you know, um, any kind of temptations or any kind of negative uh, interpersonal relationships, any kind of family curses, like you don't get delivered from that because you cast it away the Torah, you cast it off the word of God. You don't want to do that Jewish stuff. But that's where the freedom is. And that's where the light load is. That's where the easy yoke is. There's no freer person than one who is Shomer Shabbos. There is no freer person than one who is Shomer Shabbos. So it goes on to say, in doing so, they prepare the universe to welcome the Mashiach, the anointed one who will inaugurate an existence that transcends the natural world. So. We inaugurate the messianic redemption as observers of the Torah and as bearers of the covenant. 
So I just wanted to do this as an introduction to the double portion this week. And I want to jump into uh, some Midrash to kind of close out this uh, segment uh, from the Midrash says, because the Medzora is commonly called a leper. And it's actually not true because leprosy is not actually what uh, Medzora has. Za'arat is actually connected to Lashon Hara and an outbreak of a skin affliction that actually only happens to righteous people who are on the level of Adam, like the highest level of man that you can reach. So, Zozarat doesn't exist today because we don't have people on that level. But I find it very interesting that the symptoms of COVID-19 are probably the closest thing to Zarat. Because number one, you don't know if you have it until you have it. We don't have a Cohen that could actually look at us and tell us we have it or not. So that's the whole thing of quarantine. That is the Cohen. Because the Cohen puts you in quarantine to figure out what the symptoms are going to do. Like, are you going to repent? You know, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, so, I mean, quarantine and Zarat and COVID-19, I mean, it's just kind of like, wow, like this is this is too much to be a coincidence, you know. So anyway, um, and again, the only way you get Zarat is you don't go to a doctor to get it. The Cohen has to visit you. The Cohen. Yeah, OK, you can call him a doctor, but he's not a physician like let me prescribe you these herbs or let me uh, give you these uh, pr- these uh, remedies that you have to do. He, he looks at you and his eyes are what determine whether or not you have Za'arat, which when you have Za'arat, you become a Medzora. And it's all connected to the mouth. And isn't it interesting that with COVID-19, we're all having to cover up our mouth. So Medzora, it comes from the word Motsi Shem Ra, which means a wellspring of evil name. And so Motsi has to do with springing up like a well. And if you're going to spring up evil names, that's literally the essence of Lashon Hara, because what is a name? A name is the existence of a person. That's why each of us have a name. And usually our names tell us all about us, you know, and I brought this down and changing your name on the Lapid Judaism YouTube channel. The name changed, Josh. Taking a new name. That your name is connected to your existence. So if you know someone's name, it'll tell you everything you need to know about that person if you study what their name means. So therefore, when you look at a Medora, you're like, okay, that person is full of evil speech. Cover up the mouth and get outside the camp and put yourself in quarantine. And it's like, okay, COVID-19 hits the world. We got to cover up our mouth and put ourselves in quarantine. Hmm. 
And this happens right before Pesach. And what does Pesach do? It rehabilitates our mouth. Did a whole drosh on this for the Yom Tov of Hag HaMatzot. And been talking about this for the past week about, you know, our mouth is the Holy of Holies. And what do we do with our mouth? And our mouth is for the, the matzah, for the Pesach lamb, for the mitzvot. Like we're supposed to be springs of good names, springs of holiness, springs of subduing our own evil inclination, our own evil within us. So anyway, that's a little uh, heads up here. But uh, it says in on page 145 of the Midrash says for Vayikra, for this Torah portion of Medzora, says if a Jew sinned and was punished with Zaharat, the symptoms of the disease usually require that he be quarantined and later reinspected. The purpose of the seclusion period was the that the sinner should repent. The purpose that we're in quarantine is for us to repent. And if we repent, y'all, we can initiate and inaugurate the final redemption. I just love that. I don't know, man. I just I just get so amazed by that. But anyway, page 150 says a person is confronted daily with countless occasions for speaking Lashon Hara. The tongue is the organ of which all the limbs and organs moves with the least difficulty and the greatest speed. Consequently, Lashon Hara is, if you're thinking about the letter that Yaakov wrote, commonly known as James, the book of James, people like to say, there's a whole chapter in there about the tongue being fire and it sets a whole forest on fire and should blessings and curses come from the same mouth and it's like, may it never be. Yeah, the whole thing, who can tame the tongue, that, that's all there. And here we are reading about it in Parsha Medora. So it's like... Yaakov was a study of Torah or something. But anyway, it says that Lashon Hara is one of the least or Slika is one of the sins committed most frequently. Chafetz Kimes explains that the tongue was created with the ability to move more swiftly than all other organs as a special kindness of Hashem. The reason why our tongue is so swift is because this is the chesed of Hashem. How much more should we use our tongue for kindness? Just saying. Says the reward for every word of the tongue surpasses that of all the other mitzvot. Remember Mashiach Yeshua says we will be judged for every, um, what is it? Just every thoughtless word that we utter from our mouth. We're going to be judged for all these. So this is why it's not good to really be a person who curses because, you know, if you really just step back and think about it for a second, it's like, oh, I just said a cuss word. And it's like, no, you said a curse word. And it's like, you're, you're springing up curses from the very well that you desire to bless Hashem with. And yet we're not supposed to have curses and blessings come from the same well. Could you imagine if we're in the wilderness and dirty water came out of the rock? just full of um, crustaceans and full of algae and um, full of just paramecium. Could you imagine that? Imagine wells of paramecium water flowing through the camp. That's 
what Lashawn Hurrah is. That's what using your tongue to cuss and to say bad words and damaging words to other people is. That's very, very disturbing. But anyway, back to the source. The reward for every word of Torah surpasses that of all other mitzvot. Therefore, Hashem, in his kindness, enabled a person to speak thousands of words within minutes. Like I feel like on all these podcasts, I'm trying to say so much words. I like I got more sources than I got breath. <laughs> like, let me try to see what I can do. OK, help me, Hashem. OK, so anyway, within minutes of or with it within minutes in order to ensure that he could gain the greatest possible reward. Again, if you go back to the Chafetz Kaim card, that Rebbe Griffin, Rabbi Griffin Ben Ellis, a.k.a. Captain Yisrael Shlita, which means may he have a long and good life. Amen. That's what Shlita stands for. So I'm training myself to say that. With all of our modern commentators like Rabbi Tonka Truck, Slita, that's uh, Rabbi Trugman or Trugman and uh, Rabbi Anava, Slita, you know, so just start blessing everybody. You come in on tour, I'm going to start saying Slita, okay? So anyway, uh, but it got to be on, on point though, can't just be throwing MSU stuff out. But anyway, uh, that card that Rebbe Griffin, Slita, brings up. Is on there if you say the phrase Amen Yeheshme Rabbah, Amen may his great name be blessed. So just by saying that, that is considered to be a great mitzvah. And that tears up evil decrees. Like, and that's all sourced out. So again, if you get on the Sar Shalom Synagogue page on Facebook or ask the rabbi page for Rabbi Griffin Shlita. If you get on there, then you'll see that card and it's just absolutely insane in the membrane. So Hashem is like, yeah, I want your tongue to be so quick. So that way, if you don't eat kosher, if you don't keep the Shabbat just by using words, which, by the way, Hosea 14 says, take words with you and return to Hashem. So there's that. And Romans 10 says, confess and believe, confess with your lips, the belief that's in your heart. That's your salvation. You know, so it's just like, OK, the Shem is like giving every possible opportunity for us to be redeemed and delivered from judgments and uh, darkness of all kinds. But anyway. The tongue, that's it. So, Amen Yeheshame Rabbah, Ken Yehidasom. It says that also the effects of the spoken word are not tangible as are those of a sin performed in deed. And therefore, we tend to treat this offense more lightly than other Torah prohibitions. So, the thing I want to bring up with that is uh, one of my sources, Bezrat Hashem, I will read over it as I go through uh, the the following uh, series is here, is that your the words that you speak actually reach to the end of the universe. So you ever wonder why you can pray for someone halfway around the world and it reaches them and like they get the, the, get the prayer answered and it blesses them and all that? 
and you know you speak a word out over an audio message and it penetrates a person's soul like you know when people uh write songs and the the lyrics and the words of the song and the instrumental notes of the song they penetrate your soul they can either make your day good or make your day bad they can change your whole mood that's how powerful and permeating and penetrating words are so if you really want to uh you know send nukes you know, it ain't that you got to build this bomb and you go go launch it. Just say a bad word. Just go curse somebody. Just say a thoughtless word out of just without without even thinking, just speak speak damage to somebody. That's worse than sending a nuclear bomb cuz that's the impact. And it's like we think oh, words are not really a big deal, but it's like Hashem is letting us know from Parshat Medzora your words are even greater than your deeds. So again, because I'm all about that redemption, how much more so if we're using our words to speak redemption, to speak Mashiach, to speak the building of the temple? You know, the way we build the temple, because it's like, do we build a temple or does Hashem build a temple? And the answer is yes, because we have to speak it. Why do you think we pray that prayer at the end of every Shimon Esrei May it be your will, Adonai, our God, and the God of our forefathers, that you rebuild the temple speedily and sooner in our days. Grant us our sharing your Torah, you know, that whole bracha, because that's building the temple. So our words are actually what builds up things. And again, if you listen to my podcast from last week, all 16,000 hours of them, uh, that I was talking about the third temple is actually the first and second temple double decked on each other on the in Yerushalayim and they reach up into the heavens surrounded by clouds of glory and walls of fire. So, I mean, Sky City, basically. And uh, it is a conglomeration of the oral Torah and the written Torah. And it's Hashem's throne established here on the earth. And so, because I'm Iron Man, I want to point out that this picture is the arc reactor to the Iron Man suits. Like the suits being powered by the arc reactor, the same way the universe will be powered with renewal and messianic redemption. Why will there be a resurrection when this third temple comes? It's because we're setting in a proverbial arc reactor into the universe by establishing that third temple. We need that third temple. And as crazy as it is thinking there's a Sanhedrin that exists right now, even though it's not uh, valid according to the Torah. But even so, they're they're practicing the sacrifices right now. They've built some of the the different uh, vestments of the temple. And one of the things that they've said is that if we get the third temple built, COVID-19 is eradicated. And I was like, that's. You know, that's probably the greatest thing I've ever heard a fake Sanhedrin say. <laughs> you know, like you may not be valid or legit or whatever, but man, that's a statement right there. I don't care who you are. And it's like, yeah, well, you know, just because someone doesn't seem to be kosher doesn't mean that they can't say something kosher. You know, and then that's another thing about, you know, understanding uh, the, the source considering the source, you know, it's like, 
wow, I can't believe so-and-so just said something so amazing. And it's like, well, you just never know with people, you know, circumstances and things pop up in, in the world and in life. And you're just kind of like, wow, I did not expect that from so-and-so. And it's just like, well, such is uh, amazingness or the opposite of amazingness that can come from any individual at any time. So if we don't live today to hear his voice, then that's a that's kind of where that balance uh, goes into play. That if we don't today hear his voice, then we set ourselves up for doing very, very traumatic things that can be super damaging and not good. So I was going to go ahead and read it from the book as well. But what I wanted to really get to was. One of the places Zaharat can appear is in your home. And these are the spots on the wall that the Cohen would have to come to the home and do the examination. It's like, well, before the Cohen gets there, remove all your stuff from the house. Because if your house is considered to be Zaharat, then everything in the house has got to go. So get your stuff out of there so the Cohen can get over there. So I thought it was like, okay, logistically brilliant. But anyway, um, the point was that we're in the wilderness and Hashem is telling us about something that's going to happen when we get into the land. So if you think about Parsha Shalak, where there's the evil report that Hashem can't take us into the land because there's giants and we need to stay in the wilderness and we don't want to go into the land. And Hashem is not God. He can't overcome the Canaanites and all this kind of stuff. And we, we should have went back to Egypt. Like that whole thing becomes ridiculous because Hashem is telling us, this is how I want you to examine your homes. Like, in other words, when you get in the land, these are some of the things that you need to be aware of how to do. Not to mention all the things about the the first fruit, the tides, the the Shemitah year and, you know, the pilgrimage, you know, coming to the temple three times a year. Hashem is like telling us all this before we're even there. Before we even know, we got to fight people to get them out of the land, which the people who were in the land were descendants of Ham. And the reason that they were in the land is because we decided to stay in Egypt when we should have went back to Egypt. But we were like, nah, it's nice here. It's cool. They love us. It's, it's beautiful. We got a superstar life. And it's like, uh, you need to go home. And it's like, nah, we can stay in exile. Exile is great. You know, I got my house. I got my stuff. And the Shem's like, oh, well, then I'm going to shut your exile down. Is he not doing that right now? Because we decide, oh, Hashem, we'll just we'll just ride it out in exile. He's like, OK, fine. I'm going to shut down your business. I'm going to shut down your social interaction because you need to be focused on the redemption. You need to be focused on Teshuvah. You need to be focused on coming home. So there's that. But because of what's happening with this, the uh, the things that are keeping, especially Lepidniks out of Israel and allowing us to make Aliyah for real is that the whole accepted conversions or not like we don't accept your conversion and you know you're not a real jew and all that kind of stuff that's all changing all the the mess and the nonsense of you, this halakhic conversion is acceptable that halakhic conversion is not acceptable when you do the same thing to do a conversion it's just kind of like what do you mean this one's not so I can do the same things that this person is doing over here, but because it's under a different person that you don't deem worthy, which is really weird that you don't deem a person worthy. So it's like, OK, so now you can't 
be halakhically acceptable as a Jew because I don't like that person. And they took you through the conversion process, which the process itself is actually what I do over here under this person who I think is worthy. And so it's just kind of like, OK, so we're we're all immersing. We're all getting circumcised. We're all becoming Shama Shabbos. We're all learning Halakha. We're all growing. And it's like, OK, so what's the problem? So anyway, talk about that in a little bit. Uh, there's a beautiful drop from another Avenger that I want to make sure I share. But anyway, the point being that in that house, the Canaanites were like the Jews are coming out of Egypt. They're coming at us. We're going to burn the land down and we're going to hide stuff in our walls and all this kind of stuff. So they ain't going to have no fields. And when they find these houses, they're going to be empty. So they're going to be in there. And that was 40 years before we actually made it into the land. So by the time the spies did the evil report, that was the beginning of the 40 years of regrowth. So they burned it down and it took 40 years for all that stuff to grow back up. And by the 40th year, that's when we were finally able to start coming into the land because our 40 years in the wilderness was over. So everything kind of worked hand in hand. Not that we should have stayed in the wilderness for 40 years, but because we did, that allowed time for the regrowth of the burnings and the, the destruction of the land that the Canaanites did before we got there. But one of the things is that Zarat in the homes actually uh, was used for uh, saying, hey, okay, so this home has Zarat, it's condemned, tear it down. And when they would tear it down, they would find all these treasures and things in the wall. So the Zarat in the house ended up being a good thing, even though it pointed out that the person themselves needed to make the shuva because the fact of them being uh, full of Zarat, they caused it to be on their walls as opposed to themselves. So they, what would end up happening because of the fallout of everything, they would repent and then they would find all this treasure. But then they would get a new house because they have the ability to buy a new house now that they got all this treasure. And so, I mean, just kind of a beautiful tapestry of how everything is interconnected. So with that being said, that's the end of round one. So ding, 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 ding. I'm going to the corner now. And uh, Bezrat Hashem, we will pick up with a new segment.